Welcome, everybody, to a very special, very informative, and very important episode of Me, Myself, and I'm Joey G, Bad Bossy on Instagram. And today I'm joined by a very special guest. A friend of mine reached out for me to read their book, read all the things that they've been doing. It's pretty amazing stuff that a lot of us, especially our career community, we should really be informed and educated on. We have the author of Unsafe Words, Trevor Oppie, joining us. Yay, thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to to talk about consent and sex and queer yes. life. Yeah, because it's really important. Like I'm 25 right now and I feel like in a way I'm kind of going through my second puberty in a way, but this is my more so like real coming of age, real puberty moments. And I find myself in a lot of particular situations and whatnot where I'm needing some of these lessons that are talked about in this book or that are just talked about in general when it comes to the dialogues of consent and whatnot. Yeah, we don't learn about these things in school. And so that's why me and Chantel Bugs, we, we co-edited this collection of essays that is fire on how queers do consent, how it looks different, why we need different solutions to the sexual harm. Um, yeah, so it's kind of the book that I dreamed I would have had when I was a young gay boy living in North Carolina, but didn't have. Got you. Yeah. So what um, can you describe unsafe words to those who might have not read it yet? Because it's a little different than other traditional writing that we've seen. It's multiple essays from a bunch of different types of people. It's a fascinating read, though, however. Thank you. Yeah. So it's a collection of essays from academics, uh, activists, sex workers, thinkers, people who want us to, to challenge the way we think about sex and consent for queer people, just because the whole Me Too moment was really framed in terms of powerful men harassing uh, mostly white women. And so there's a lot left out in that discussion, a lot left out about um, how, you know, obviously queer people, like what does consent look like for us? And then also like, you know, yeah, people of color in particular just have been left out of this discussion as well. So we have a really diverse lineup of authors um, from uh, many Black authors, Latino authors, Asian authors, white authors, uh, non-binary authors, trans authors, you know, you kind of name it, everyone is sort of represented. Um, and we wanted to do that so that we could speak, you know, uh, to a kind of broad audience uh, in the queer world. Um, so I think all the essays are, are framed with that in mind, just to kind of, so there's something for everyone, no matter yeah. who you are, you know, there's something in there. Yeah, that's amazing, especially because the topic of intersectionality has been coming up a lot lately, especially in the queer community, because we are such an intersectional community. We have so many different types of us, and it's not just, you know, the letters listed in our community name, LGBTQ+, like, there's ethnicities, backgrounds and whatnot that come into play that really do change each person's situation, situation by situation. And I just want to ask you, because you talk about it a little bit in the book and it's expressed via all these different essays. What role does race, gender, power and class play when it comes to consent, especially within our community? Oh my gosh, such a big question. I mean, I think you know, one point that I talk about in my essay is that some people like to, to sort of imagine that sex could be egalitarian or like two people should be on equal footing. But the reality is, is that we all come into sex with different kind of social positions. Uh, some of us 
with more power than others in the bedroom, you know, tops and bottoms in the gay world, white folks and people of color, uh, sex workers and clients, uh, there's always kind of power differentials at play. And so if we ignore those, we miss a kind of crucial point, which is that, you know, we have to find ways to do consent that still recognize that we're not on all equal footing. Um, and that's, I think one of the things the book does really well is to just imagine all the different ways that we come into this world with different sort of social baggage um, kind of attached to us and, and the way that that impacts how we do consent. And it really, you know, if you had the 13 authors on here, they would all give you different kind of perspectives on that because we're all coming to it from different positions. Me as a white gay man, as a bottom, uh, in my community, you know, I, I have my own perspective on that, which is, um, you know, mostly interacting with tops and sort of how you negotiate consent as a bottom uh, is different than what it would be like if I was a top. Um, so that's just one sort of, um, you know, nugget yeah. in the, um, of, of many of which there are many. Yeah. And that's a really good point that I didn't even think about, honestly, till now it's like, within our own community when it comes to like the environment that is sex within the queer community. It's like, there's so many different things, tops, bottoms, there's different fetishes, kinks and whatnot. And it's like, how do we keep all this fun and still in a way like playfully spontaneous while still keeping respect for the other person and consent and play? Because for me, I identify as verse and I truly mean verse, but because, <laughs> you know, but I find myself, especially like when I'm more so playing the role of the bottom, I like to be more submissive and everything, which is great. And the guys I go after, obviously, when I'm kind of in my bottom bag, if you want to speak, are more dom tops, everything, which is great. And I love it. But at the same time, there have been some people that I've come into interactions with where it's like, OK, slow, slow your roll there. Like, let's keep things comfortable for both of us, maybe I don't want to have sex on the first hookup. Maybe we could do something that still keeps the roles of like, you're the dominant person in this situation. I'm the submissive one in the situation, but we're not necessarily going to places where maybe one of us are uncomfortable with going to. Yeah, totally. And like, there are ways to do that, that keep the fun in sex. As you mm -hmm. say, I like to say fun and play because sex can be fun and playful and, sh you know, hopefully is. Um, but the way one of the responses from me to and kind of the um the heterosexual world has been this i don't know if you've heard much about enthusiastic consent yeah which i get why they sort of straight people in particular might need that and some queer people too you know we all have different needs in the bedroom and but as i understand it that's kind of this idea of like you know can i touch you here can i do this can i do that and like that just does not resemble my sex life at all. There's not like a constant, yeah. but you know, if a top says something like, you like that boy or something, like that's a check-in that's that's hot. That's like yeah. skin consent without sort of reducing it to this sort of like sterile permission. Um, and I think that that's what I try to find is those ways to check in. And in my essay, I talk about it just with eyes, like literally looking in someone's eyes, holding that and like, you know, in very 
dom sub kind of interactions mm. verbal stuff is not you know sometimes they it's supposed to be silent or more anonymous or whatever um you need other tools like safe words i mean that's the reason the name of the book is unsafe words is that like safe words are a way to allow for a top usually it's the submissive partner is the one using them to kind of push your boundaries because you don't know going into every encounter what you're going to be into in the moment like it may depend on who the guy is and how the interaction is and you may be surprised to find oh well, i you know i didn't expect to be into that but you're doing it in a way that is pretty fun so i'm not you know I'm going to let you do that, push that boundary. But if I need it, I can say red or, you know, whatever safe word is and, and sort of cool things down. Uh, and I think queer people have been really good at imagining tools like that, that allow for fun and spontaneity and play while also respecting people's boundaries. Yeah. And the idea of safe words is really interesting when you bring it up, because I think safe words are good and listening is so good too like listening is such a key word everyone uses and boundaries and whatnot like but it really is essential you know like in my situations that I've been in on a personal note like I've been with uh maybe like a dom top or whatever and he's like you like and I'm like hold on hold on hold on like there's ways to kind of like push him off a little bit but it's like this weird kind of tug of war because the whole kind of I don't say like point of that game but for lack of better terms point of that game is like let's see how far you could go but it's like if I'm literally like gently pushing you off of me, like maybe you should get that note to like pull it out just a little bit because I, I need a second, you know, because then by them listening and like understanding like what we kind of touched you earlier, like that's hot. And then I'll make me be like, OK, after this timeout, I'm ready to go back for round two or whatnot. So it's like listening is almost just as important as like the words being said or not. Yeah. Being said. Totally. Communication is is not just words. It's also body language. It's mm -hmm. shifting and weights. It's like expressions on your face. It's all these other things that um, we kind of intuitively know. And then and, th and that's, you know, the book just responds to the fact that it's like sometimes people writing about sex, it seems so out of touch. It just doesn't yeah. seem like like, are you having sex? Is this like, is this, right. is this real? Like, is exactly. it doesn't look like my sex life. Um, and and a lot of essays kind of talk about that, that, that we, you know, that, that we try to be practical in the way that we talk about consent. Mm -hmm. um, and so I hope that, that people reading the book find those tools to think more about them. Because I think we all do them without thinking about them. But if we can become more aware of them and sort of, promote that kind of checking in and that kind of communication you know we can do consent even better um than than we are i see i also wanted to ask you too because like this has always been like a topic amongst like my friend groups and whatnot just like i guess as us queer people like we always talk about cruising and whatnot like if you're at the gym or in a locker room whatever how does consent play within those type of confines oh yes i mean like in a bathhouse or a back room like literally that you're not supposed to talk like talking kind of like a scene is killing the vibe so yeah. obviously words are not going to function in the same way uh, alexander chevy's has an essay talking about back rooms in the book and he um you know he talks about a nod a nudge 
you know, a kind of give and take, but also they're just different rules of engagement. It's not like walking on the street. Um, and you kind of have to uh, be attuned with those rules. And the trouble is that we don't all, you know, there's no like guidebook going into a bathhouse. Like, okay, this is how you find out if someone's into you. Right. Um, and so there's another essay from Blue Buchanan, Buchanan, who's a non-binary um, uh, uh, trans man and uh, talks about sort of uh, failures in a bathhouse where he felt like he was assaulted um, because he sort of wasn't aware of the rules going in and feels like bathhouses could do more to kind of promote you know, make everyone aware of what, what's yeah. going on and kind of the rules of engagement. Um, and there are those violations that happen that um, obviously we can do better. Like queer people aren't perfect and obviously, and, and our space is um, as radical and as like, you know, when you talk to straight friends about bathhouses, they're like, what, you know, like- What is we, that? Yeah. We, we have a different uh, set of resources available to us. Um, as amazing as those spaces are, they can be even better if we, um, you know, Blue Blue argues in their essay, if we if we put everyone on, um, we make everyone more prepared going in, sort of knowing those rules of engagement. Yeah, and that's the thing. It's like cruising really, like, especially now with like sniffies and everything, like it really exists everywhere. Like I've had some cruising instances that like successful trips that have worked without even planning them at like my gym and my locker room. These are years ago, like in college and whatnot. But my whole concern about that, one, I find that hot and that's like a huge, I guess, like fetish or kink of mine. But the whole time I'm thinking, it's not just like, oh, is this guy into me? It's like, I don't want to make this person uncomfortable. Like, I don't want to make this person weirded out because say we're in a locker room, you know, you make eye contact with somebody. Yeah, it can be that type of eye contact that's giving the green light to like, okay, let's, move over to the shower or whatnot but also like it could just be like acknowledgement of another human <laughs> being in a locker room it could be a hello so for me I don't want to look like and I don't even not even like I don't want to look like I don't want to make somebody uncomfortable by reaching for like my dick all of a sudden in the middle <laughs> of a locker room and they're just like what are you doing then suddenly I'm getting kicked out of the gym and I can never go there my membership <laughs> so it's just like, I'm just vocalizing that just because I'm really realizing how important consent is and how kind of under the rug it goes when it comes to a lot of these different situations. They don't even have to be one-on-one -on -one intimate, like in your bedroom with your partner or with like a hookah buddy you found from like a app or whatnot. Like it really does exist everywhere in these um, clubs now that have dark rooms and everything. Like it exists there as well because everyone has their own type of limits. It just depends on like, how much people are willing to listen to those and be reciprocative of those. Uh, yeah, and I think it varies by the space because, you know, a, a, a sauna at the gym, not everyone is in there for sex, right? I mean, right. a lot of them are just there to be in the sauna. Literally. But when you're at the bathhouse, you know, that is an explicitly marked sexual space or you're in the back room. Um, so public cruising is kind of a different phenomenon and a different skill set, I'll say. I am terrible. I would... It would just, it's not my skill set. I'm uh -huh. good at reading all those kind of things. So I would definitely be the one to like make some kind of mistake. So, um, you know, I stick to what I'm good at. Gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> because I like on the internet, like on Sniffies or whatever, or Grinder or wherever, 
you can make really clear what you're looking for before you ever meet up. So there's no question of like what you're into at a base level because you've already kind of arranged that and that works better for me. So I think for different people, we have our own, you know, skill sets. Um, yeah. So if you're, if you're good at the public cruising thing, I think that's amazing. I wish, I wish I could be better at that. <laughs> Not. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I've kind of lost my magic when it comes to that because I'm a little like over hypersensitive and then I end up missing out on an interaction that could have happened just because I was thinking too much up here. But hey, I'd rather be safer than sorry and make sure that <laughs> person's fine without crossing some potential border or limit or boundary, you know. But I also wanted to ask you too when it comes to your essays also and making this book. You mentioned that like this is the book like you wish you had growing up in North Carolina. So it's how what stories kind of inspired you in your own life to write your own personal essay within this yeah um I opened my essay talking about what a mentor uh, an older mentor who came of age in the 70s relayed to me which is Mm -hmm. that the first time he had sex he was in college it was with another college student Uh, it was the 1970s neither of them had a clue what gay sex meant but they had heard that it involved Vaseline so they just covered each other in Vaseline and like rolled around <laughs> for a while. They, wow. they, just, they didn't know what it was. And I think to me, that was, you know, obviously we know what gay sex is now. Porn uh, at a, you know, you can access that at any age, but still we don't know exactly what turns us on until we're kind of in the moment. And so that's what the my essay is really about is like figuring out what you're into yeah, uh, which is like a lifelong thing. It changes over time. You can be surprised. Um, and I really have found value in finding tools for consent that allow that flexibility, like safe words or um, body language, other kinds of practices that still achieve consent, but yeah. don't don't kind of look like this enthusiastic consent model of can I do this can I do this can I do that can I do that you know um so I think my essay is sort of a homage to coming of age and finding your sexual self while also um trying to do it in a way that that is consensual um and that's harder than we realize we don't really know until we're in the moment and someone's doing something we don't want them to do right and we're like oh fuck how do I get this person to stop yeah Uh, or how do I get out of this situation Mm. um and we're not well prepared for that uh we're not well prepared to say yes and we're not well prepared to say no yeah so I think the book hopefully will get people thinking about both of those things how you say yes and no um those are skills we definitely sorely need. Yeah. And so when you're in that type of predicament where you're like, oh no, I don't like this. I need to speak up and say no. What from your own personal situations, if you've ever been in that type of situation, what notes do you have to others when it comes to being in that? Like, how do you speak up in that situation? Cause it's like that voice is in there screaming and being like, okay, I don't like this, but the one out here kind of, could tend to disassociate and just kind of forget about it and just kind of float through the situation. So how do you make sure that voice inside is heard? Absolutely. That's a big challenge to say no. Um, 
I think the one, one, one instance I talk about in the book, I was living in San Francisco and I was hooking up with this guy and it started off very kind of predictably sort of making out, walking backwards to the bedroom. We started hooking up, it was going well. And then we started to have sex and he moved too fast. Mm -hmm. And I, I was like, uh, I said something like, uh, you know, stop or something like that, or, or tried to pull away. And he was like, oh, no, you don't. And he like pushed ahead even harder. And I had, and I kind of froze up, but my response was to throw him off of me. Um, he was a lot bigger than me, but I don't know if it's adrenaline or what in the moment. I just, I just flipped him off of me and exited the situation very quickly. Um, and looking back on that, I think I could have verbally done something different, but I also think that mostly he just was misreading the situation and thought I was playing out some kind of rape fantasy or something. Um, but we hadn't discussed that at all beforehand. So, so I think you do have to say no. Um, and I know that that's hard as a bottom, like, so much of it is about pleasing your partner and of right. being submissive. And so you're not inclined to do that because this role play is so set up in this kind of dyadic relationship of you saying, doing what they want. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I experienced that with condoms, for example, back when condoms were a thing before prep that, you know, tops wouldn't want to use them. And you know, I'm taking more of the risk as the bottom. And so it was difficult to assert that. Prep changed that game um, where I have the power to protect myself by not relying. I don't have to rely on them to right. use condom. So I think it's been a lifelong struggle to find the words, um, whether they're no or just asserting what you want better. Um, I don't know that there's any like, you know, formula that's perfect for people right like right but if it if it feels wrong you know you it, you have to speak up um and uh and I, and I say that fully knowing that I've been in situations where I didn't speak up where I I went along with things that I was uncomfortable with and and that didn't the, the, there are also situations like that that are not assault it's just sort of like bad sex you know, right. their breath is bad and I keep kissing them. Like, yeah, it's like, I didn't want to do that, but like, I didn't really just know how to so, anyways. So, you know, there's a gradient of experiences from assault to just sort of bad or uncomfortable sex. And mm -hmm. I've definitely run the gamut of those kinds of experiences. And you just have to learn to speak up for yourself. Um, and boy, that's hard. Um, but I think it's a skill that, you know, maybe... I hate to say it, but like sex ed classes need to really role play that kind of stuff, you know? Yeah. Uh, to just be able to know, hey, this is a phrase that I could utter to 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 sort of pause the situation. Right, yeah, and that's a good point when it comes to education. Like they really don't touch on it. They just tell you what's what, how to do it and move on. And they don't even, to begin with, they don't even dive into queer sex life and whatnot they just tell you about it from a hetero perspective so it's just like okay thanks for thanks for all the help you know and like for me I found power and consent through doing a bunch of other activities so like I box and do a lot of fitness type activities where it involves you getting kind of I don't say attacked but you know preyed upon and it's up to you to one defend yourself but also if it does get a little too much within practice 
to speak up and just be like, hey, hold on, give me a second. That's a little too rough now. Let's let's reset, whatnot. You know, so they really do need to find ways to talk about that, especially because this happens to a lot of young kids, unfortunately, too. And that's how queer kids too specifically specifically go off onto grinder sniffies and maybe land onto the wrong people and then have to find out their lesson the hard way, which we don't want people to have to do, of course. You know? Yeah, we need to we need to give tools for people to protect themselves. And then we need to also give tools for uh, you know, uh, especially tops, but I'm sure bottoms can do it too, of 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 steamrolling over their partner's desires without yeah. um so you know it's definitely goes both ways, just like yeah. in heterosexual context. Men need to be taught not to assault women, just as you know, women need uh, tools in the moment to be able to protect themselves. Uh, it, it's so you know we can't focus just on sort of just just the 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 protecting yourself aspect. It has to be also giving people tools to um, protect their partners um, yeah. and check in with their partners. Yeah, and I was gonna ask that too, because I think the same thing could happen reverse as well just like how you know women could be the one to uh put their male partner in a sexually uncomfortable place the same could happen from a bottom to a top so how can those bottoms kind of understand that lesson clearly i don't know how to address them in a more politically correct way besides those bottoms but yeah how how has that dynamic kind of been shown from things that you've heard or essays you've read well, in general, I would just say as a gay man on these apps, um, there are a lot of guys you'll encounter who don't want to talk at all about what they're into. And and they'll just say, looking, now, address. Yeah. And it's like, wow, that is not a lot of information to go off of. And I get the appeal of that. And I get why some people want to do that, at least for myself. What I've found is if I have forced a bigger conversation about specifically what are you into? Are you into kissing? Are you into right. this? You know that, so that I can be a better informed person going into this situation. So at the very least, if if your sex life initiates online, and I think for a lot of queer men, especially, that's that's where we sort of start for a lot of us, um, having a more involved conversation about what's cool and what's not is really, really key. Um, and I find that some guys are willing to have that. And I find that some guys just don't respond or don't even want to, and, and I just let those guys go, right? It, there's yeah. other fish in the pond. Like I, 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 I don't meet up with people who are not able to articulate what they want to do. Um, and so that's one tool that I've developed over time. And it's hard, to, especially if they're hot and you really want to hook up with them. Like yeah. it can be a challenge, but like, you know, if something just seems off, I I I don't meet up. Um, or if they're not able to say, or if they're into something, if they seem to be really into something that I'm not into. Um, and that's hard, especially when you're horny to make those kinds of logical decisions. But uh, yep. but it, it, I'm sure it saved me from a lot of unpleasant sexual encounters. Yeah, for sure. And earlier you mentioned in kind of the one of the MOs of the book is to challenge the standard set up via the Me Too movement that were set up by straight people and the hetero world per se. So how do we how do we respond to that? And how do we rewrite those rules and be like, okay, we believe in Me Too, but this is how we are gonna do it. 
How do we how do we start that? I think queer people already are, right? I mean, mm. the reality is that many of us are having sex in ways that 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 are ethical, are playful, are sexy, um, and and that that are not uh that do not result in assault, right? I mean, I think mm. hopefully that's that's most of the sex we're having, if not all the sex we're having. So I think queer people are doing it already. The book is just more about verbalizing that and speaking truth to power in some way, because there's been a lot of silence, I think, especially in kind of like the queer Twitterverse or whatever, like trying to say anything that's against the grain to be like, hey, uh, this enthusiastic model, I'm not sure it works for me. Just even trying to have that conversation, you could be, I mean, just attacked uh, for trying to to speak more diversity into the conversation because, um, and I sort of get the impulse because, you know, heterosexual sex seems dreadful. I am grateful every day of my life that I am not a heterosexual man. (laughs) I mean, like, I can't imagine being a woman and having to try to have sex with heterosexual men um, when, all when you have sex as a woman, you are very quickly labeled a whore. Um, they have to walk this fine line of being sexy, mm-hmm. while at the same time trying to be perceived as not actually having any sex. Right. It's, it's impossible. And and one of the essays by Jane Ward in the book talks about like that reality. She's 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 the author of The Tragedy of Heterosexuality, mm-hmm. a title which I love, uh, uh, her book. Um, her essay on lesbian sexual ethics, you know, is like, we don't have to deal with heterosexual men. Our sex lives look really different as women. So maybe we don't need the same interventions that straight people need to have ethical sex. Um, So I just think, uh, I, I think we're already doing it. It's just a lot of it, there's a lot of pressure to mm-hmm. not talk about it in ways that are honest. And so the book is painfully honest at times. Like my mom read my essay and I was like, oh, yeah, that's hard. God, like I, I didn't think about that when I wrote the book, but, yeah. um, but uh, you know, she's, she's not my target audience necessarily, but, um, right. but I tried to be really honest in my essay mm-hmm. uh, to a fault of, of what my experiences are like having sex. Um, and I think all the authors come with that kind of fresh honesty uh, in the face of this, like I said, just silence. Yeah, got you. And going to the rules of Me Too set by straight people, you said that those concepts after a while could kind of end up being harmful. How can it lead to that harmful place if we just continue following those rules and those intentions that weren't set? Well, I think it creates this false standard where I, I see this among my students, for example, young mm-hmm. people, where they perceive any sex outside of that enthusiastic model as assault. Mm-hmm. And that's a problem because that conflates all sorts of things that are not assault with assault. We need to be able to really be clear what right. assault looks like, because I, I tell this to my students all the time. We talk about like alcohol use, like, you know especially among college students, they have this whole conversation about like, yeah. oh, if you're drinking, you know, you can't consent to sex. And I'm like, well, if that was true, I've been assaulted hundreds of times in my life. And 
that's not the reality. Like I have sex when I'm drunk. I have made decisions when I'm drunk that that resulted in sex and and I don't feel assaulted by those encounters. At the same time, of course there's a limit to that. If you have a partner who can't sit up straight, that's that's different. Of course, yeah. That's fundamentally different. but they conflate all of that together because yeah. that's just been this sort of dogmatic message is like, you know, consent is this very narrow thing. Yeah. Uh, which and I, it's just like that's just not the way the world works. And so if you can't see assault uh, clearly, it, I think it can make a lot of people scared of sex because it looks like all sex is assault. And my God, I mean, that's a really sad way uh, to see the world. And and again, heterosexuals, they're in a different, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm putting that aside. I don't live in that world and um, I don't have to sort of... Um, the sex that I have is not sort of in that confine. So I, I think we as queer people have a little more freedom to play and we should be able to explore that freedom uh, without being accused of, of assaultive behavior for, for what is really just normal everyday sex. Yeah, and that's the thing that example you make with your students is a really good example because kind of through the oversaturating of things that really aren't assault and labeling them as assault, makes it blurry as to what is assault, which it shouldn't be. Yeah. You know, it kind of fogs up that lens as to like, okay, so if all this is assault, then what is actually like real assault, which we shouldn't be asking that, you know, when something happens, you should be able to tell your friend or whoever, God forbid it happens to them, be like, no, like this is something serious that happens. You need to go handle this the way you need to, whether that be go get help, et cetera, and whatnot. So it's a very good point that you bring up about everyone kind of labeling everything that doesn't have that enthusiastic yes as like assault exactly i think we can do better uh to to and and critically i i think if we want to have fun sex lives um and i don't want to sort of create a world where there's just all this fear and stigma about sex because it looks so dangerous um, and it, it can be dangerous, but it's, you know, we can do things to, to make it less so and to, to, to practice sex more ethically. Um, so I, that's, I really hope that the book gives people tools to do that, to find more ethical, playful, pleasurable ways to have sex. Yeah, definitely. And I just have a few more questions also. I wanted to ask you too, and this is very relevant, especially in terms of like what's been shown on the news and what's just been happening within our country on a very grand scale in the past few years, is the idea of police force and whatnot. So how do we keep those safe, but also how do we say something happens, you're in a situation and such person that may have assaulted you needs to be handled. We don't necessarily want to call the police because the police could be, not could be, most likely are racist, transphobic, homophobic, etc and whatnot so it's like how do we what authority do we call when we're in those situations that need uh, some type of supervision or authority in yeah there are, there are several essays at the end of the book that think about that question because you know we live in a world where the police are supposed to be the recourse here but we know that police are transphobic racist uh sexist and do not do not you know dominique morgan in her interview i I interviewed her in the last chapter of the book she's a prison abolitionist and trans activist and she's like i've never the police have never given me justice that's not something i could see them giving me so you know we don't have 
answers always in the book. Mm -hmm. What we do know is that, you know, the police are not going to set us free. Like they're, they're not going to give us um, the tools that queer people need to, to have ethical sex and to resolve harm when it does occur. And of course it does occur. Um, you know, Dominique Morgan in, in her interview, she talks about, you know, being the victim of sexual assault at the hands of correctional officers when she was in prison. Yeah. Um, so, you know, she looks to those authority figures and sees they, they're, they're not just not going to help, they can be perpetrators, right? Yeah. And so uh, I think it's really complicated. Um, and, and unfortunately, so much of the, the response um, has been about punishment and not been about prevention. We've been so focused on how do we punish people better that it's like, well, we can also try to get out there and educate people better through sex education, public awareness campaigns. There are all sorts of tools that we could use, you know, getting a movie line in a, a TV show or right. a movie, you know, there, there are ways to get out there, messages in the world to try to prevent harm before it happens. Um, so I think that's what a lot of people in the book are committed to is, is to try to think about prevention as well. Of course, punishment may be appropriate in, in some contexts, um, but we know even in heterosexual contexts where, where there were clearly harmful acts, there was really much question about it and people still don't get punished under the law. They walk free. Yeah. Um, so it's like, the police cannot be our only solution. The law cannot, is, is not always our friend. We've got to come up with other ways to do it. So, you know, Blue in their essay talking about bathhouses, better preparing people who enter with, with tools to practice ethical sex, um, you know, sex education that better, uh, does a better job of talking about queer sex at all, about pleasure, about consent. It's It's all about HIV and pregnancy really, and, and yeah. scaring people. Um, we can do so much better. Um, punishment isn't gonna set us free from this problem of assault. Uh, and, uh, and like I said, the book sometimes asks more questions than it's able to answer, but at least just getting a conversation to start started that says, hey, is the criminal justice system really the best tool for us here? Yeah. Many of the authors in the book don't think so. Yeah, I agree. Um, I want to ask you two more questions. This is a total side note, but when I was reading the essays, I thought of this one show and I wonder wondered if you watched it. It's called I May Destroy You and it's on HBO Max. It was created by Michaela Cole. Yes. Have you seen it? She's a rock star. Yes. <sighs> love love them so much. Yeah. She's incredible. What do you think about that? Especially considering the essays I hand into your work within this. Yeah, year. I'm I'm trying to recall the kind of storyline, but as I recall, there's an assault. It's covered up. Is that right? It's it's and then yeah, she... there was a few different examples of assault. There was um her own personal assault that happened where I think her partner at the time like said they were using a condom, but he didn't. That was one of them. And then the other one was uh, she got drugged and raped. Trigger warning. Yeah. And uh, I think that was the first episode. And then there was an example with her friend who identified as queer on Grindr and other dating, dating apps and whatnot. I think that show did an exceptional job. Well, yeah, and I don't want to give away the end, but yeah. as I recall, the way she ends up resolved, well, not resolving, but the way that she seeks justice is not through the law, but through a public sort of an encounter. Yep. And I think 
that's what Me Too has done so powerfully is to say, you know, Alyssa Milano and other actresses being like, uh, Harvey Weinstein is still walking around and police aren't doing anything about it. We have to find a way to seek remedy that's outside the law. And I'm not saying I'm encouraging people to go on Twitter and, you know, make accusations uh, that way. It, it right. is one tool that that seems that has power. Um, and I think there are probably, um, uh, unfortunately, that's the reality we live in is that when the law doesn't serve us, you know, we have to look for these other recourses. Uh, and so I think the show spoke to that powerfully that, that yeah. you know, um, when the law doesn't do its job, um, people will find other, uh, people can, I'm not, they often don't, of course, but they can find these other avenues to try to seek, seek accountability. Um, so I love the show. I love that actress and, and everything that she does. Um, again, I think it's such a heterosexual context that its applicability to queer people is, is, you know, maybe not a hundred percent, but, but was nonetheless uh, compelling to think about what what we do when the law fails us. Yeah, and that's the thing. When it comes to the law failing us, when it comes to those things, using those platforms like Twitter and such like that are really helpful. And like you named like the actresses that called out Harvey Weinstein with his whole thing and whatnot. It's like, yes, as much as we want these people to receive punishment, the law just sometimes like does not care, does not put time for that. So the most you can do and the most helpful thing you can do is let your peers know, like breed the idea of awareness in people. So at least they know, especially like for that instance, like Alyssa Milano and all those other actresses that they were speaking to their community. They're speaking to their coworkers, essentially being like, hey, this guy in office, if you ever run into him, stay away, maybe not work on a project of his, even though it might be rewarding financially. But like, I find that still just as powerful as finding some type of lawful punishment against the person because it's like if you if you can't do that then the next best thing which could ultimately end up being the best thing is just at least awareness so people know that hey unfortunately this sick dude is floating around somewhere but do your best to stay away from them and hopefully one of these days they could end up getting some type of punishment that could actually keep them away from people and even sometimes that awareness could you know it obviously affects his career. Like you don't see him making movies anymore and whatnot. So there's still an element of that punishment in there, but I still more so find the awareness, the more valuable thing to take away. Yeah. Shout out to Courtney Love, who I think tried to do that in like an early nineties interview where she was like, you were invited to Harvey Weinstein's house. Do not go there. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) So definitely, um, talking about these things, even just among your friend group, you know, can be powerful. Um, uh, not even just therapeutic, but also from a community level to raise awareness that there are people perpetrating harm. Yeah, completely. Cause there's been some people that like, we know in the nightlife scene and whatnot, that maybe I've had a weird interaction with physically and whatnot. I'm not going to go on Twitter and let everybody have it, but I'll let my friends know just like, Hey, yeah, that guy, if you ever ask you on a date, do what you will, but with my own personal interaction, things got a little uncomfortable and touchy and that weren't accepted on mutual terms. So that awareness is all you could do yeah. sometimes, you know. And the last question I wanted to ask you and kind of address is that these essays are dedicated to Mistress Velvet. Mm-hmm. Can you let everybody know who she is and what importance does she play within unsafe words? Oh, yeah. 
Mistress Velvet was an icon, um, a black sex worker working in Chicago who uh, was a dominatrix and was widely reported in uh, several years ago in the media for um, for requiring her white male clientele clientele to read black feminist theory as part of her like domination program, uh, which was just iconic and inspirational and and attempting to seek, uh, you know, out of this sort of racial fetish world that she was operating in to seek some kind of like remedy and awareness and transformation along the way and in yeah. the process. And uh, we are, I am very grateful that she was able to contribute an essay to the book before she passed away in, in 2021. Um, say is, is about race play and, and how race play can both be transformational and challenge yeah. uh, racial assumptions while also, you know, it's not a panacea. It's not going to set us free that um, it's still operating in this racialized, you know, racist context. It, 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 it you know, it, it, she deals, tries to deal with those contradictions as a black dominatrix um, working with mostly or entirely white male clientele. Um, try to think through the, the possibilities, but also the limitations. So I, I love, their essay and um, we dedicated the book to them because um, it just, it felt like the, not just the right thing to do, it's just, she is a fucking icon. And even if she was alive, the book should still be dedicated to her because she inspires me every day. Yeah, awesome. Well, thank you. And thank you for that sentiment, especially. So I appreciate you so much. I'm so glad we talked. This is like one of like my most memorable conversations for y'all. So. I appreciate you. You're great energy, informative, everything, especially all the work that you've put into these essays. And I really, really enjoyed it. I'm very thankful for it. So thank you for taking your time to chat with thank me. How, thank you. How can everyone read safe, unsafe words and be educated and stay safe yeah. out there, especially if summer kind of around the corner, pride season, all that. Oh yeah. No, good point. Um, so Unsafe Words is available um, anywhere fine books are sold. You can get it direct from Rutgers, um, uh, Rutgers University Press, or you can go on Amazon, you know, or your local bookstore hopefully also carries it. Um, wherever you find books, it is available. Um, and uh, um, buy your friends copies, May, you know, make it a, <laughs> make it book, a club. Thing. book club. Yes. Oh, my God. And if, if anyone wants one of the authors to zoom in for a book club or something feel free to reach out i'm sure we could probably make it happen amazing amazing how can people stay safe in general when it comes to this topic have fun be aware of your boundaries express speak up when 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 something isn't going exactly as, as you had hoped um uh so that's how i found uh, finding the words just find the words practice yeah. practice finding the words Amazing. Well, thank you so much. I hope we stay in touch, please. And yeah. any other works you have that you want to come in and talk about, I'd love to. Thank you, Joey. I really appreciate it. Of course. I'll talk to you soon. I'll see you later. Everyone, thank you for tuning in. Remember, go get Unsafe Words. Go read it. All that. Talk about it to your friends. This is very important. And yeah, keep our community safe. So thank you for tuning in and we'll see y'all next week.